everyone, and welcome to episode 473 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a small crew here this week. Krim is still making his way back from MagicCon Chicago, so I'm joined by the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard? Good morning, Seth. I, I see Krim hasn't survived MagicCon Chicago. He's yeah. <laughs> I will give Krim a lot of credit. He had early morning commitments almost every day at Chicago, and he was there bright and early, 10 a.m. East Coast time. I was amazed because that's, I don't even know. It's like the middle of the night Krim time. But yeah, he he did the long days. It was super fun. Uh, I met so many people in Chicago. So if you came up and said hi or whatever in Chicago, thanks to you because you all made the uh, the event a huge, huge, uh, just a blast. I had such a great time. So thanks to all of you for that. But we have some good topics today. We got a ton of spoilers for MagicCon Chicago. So that's going to be one of our biggest topics. But we also had a pro tour. We had some changes to the languages of magic products that's coming up. So we want to hit on that stuff as well. So that's the plan for today. Some news in a ton of spoilers. But before we get into that, a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Card Conduit. And Card Conduit's the easiest way to sell your magic cards. And if you ever get tired of the hassles of buy listing, you can skip them with Card Conduit. You can use their curated service and send in as many cards as you want with a buy list value of a dollar or more in pages to 5% service fee and you can do a bit of work with the sort of service where you list and sort your cards in advance in pages to two percent fee and either way you're going to get a detailed report with the results and a fast payment once your order is processed and you can even get another 10 percent off by heading over to cardconduit.com slash mtggoldfish card conduit they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards so thank you so much to card conduit for supporting this show and let's talk some magic and let's start with the big event from the weekend. So at MagicCon Chicago, we had Pro Tour Chicago, Pro Tour Murders at Karlov Manor. I'm not sure what they're calling them anymore, but it was a pioneer Pro Tour. The top eight is in. We know who won it. Richard, what went down at Pro Tour Murders at Karlov Manor? All right. So apparently there's a Pro Tour. Yes. <laughs> and I was informed was. that at every MagicCon there's going to be, uh, I don't know what you even call it, like a big event. So either a pro tour or world or something. So I, I yeah. knew there was Commander happening at Magic <laughs> I did not realize there was a pro tour happening. And uh, some, some spicy stuff went down at Murders at Karloff Manor. So they're not based on cities. They're based on set releases. Vampires. Busted out. Channel Fireball, a name we haven't heard in a long time, apparently still exists as a pro team. <laughs> and they broke the metagame, apparently. Yep. Vein Ripper. <laughs> so that's that's the sixth drop Murders of Karloff Manor Mythic. It's a six drop, six five, Vampire Assassin in black, flying, ward, sack a creature. Whenever a creature dies, target opponent loses two life, you gain two life. You just chuck that in to your deck and you have Soren the three-drop Planeswalker that can cheat vampires into play. And then you just play, like, Rakdos mid-range stuff, right? So, yeah. Blood Tithe Harvester, already in the deck. Perfect, right? Thoughtseize, Fable the Mirror Breaker. Uh, so, you throw this together, it broke the metagame. Uh, they were running hot. We had, I think, two in the top eight. Uh, ultimately, uh, Seth Manfield won the tournament with Rakdos Vampires. Uh, other I'm top eight decks... <laughs> I did actually watch it. Did he mulligan? Oh, yeah. So so Seth Manfield is like infamous for never mulliganing. He's just like, always keep my seven. I don't care how bad it is. I'm going to draw out of it. But he won a game on a multi four, which is just like the least Seth Manfield way to win. But he was mulliganing aggressively throughout the vet and was totally rewarded by ending up winning the whole thing, which was cool to see. Vols a four. That's that that's <laughs> his that's opponent was low. on a mold of his opponent was on a mold of five but still yeah okay. he, it was a semi-finals game where he uh won on the mold of four so the rest of the top eight uh is it phoenix uh two copies two lotus field combos uh amalia combo a heroic deck and then two rakdos vampire decks uh but seems like it's the real deal and it it's literally just rakdos mid-range with some more vampires thrown in. So I don't think it's going away. <laughs> I think that sounds like a legit deck to me. Yeah, I mean, Rakdos has been the best deck in Pioneer for a minute now. So this is like taking advantage of Thought Seizes, Fable, Smuggler's Copter, like all the best cards of the Rakdos deck. But then you also can just turn three a Vein Ripper, which I think is like the tech for Phoenix. Phoenix was the most played deck at the event and the maybe the best deck going into the event in a lot of people's opinion. So the idea is you just put this huge flyer on there and just it essentially just shuts down the entire Phoenix plan. It seemed like it worked 
really well. It looked really impressive. I got to watch some like on my trip home. I was like waiting at the airport watching the finals of the Pro Tour last night. So it was really cool to see it work. And it was so nostalgic. I don't I know you remember this because we've been doing Pro Tours forever. But back in the old days, the before days when we actually like did Pro Tours all the time, I remember like waiting for the deck list to come out to see what team would break it. Like what team like came up with this crazy brew that no one else had thought of? Is it going to work? And this kind of felt like that, right? We had this like kind of, I know it's Arakdos, but still the vampire thing with Vein Ripper is pretty new and novel. So we got to see this team that kind of broke the format, which is something I haven't seen happen in like 10 years or something. This is like going back to the old school Pro Tour. So it was really cool to see this innovation taking place on the Pro Tour stage again. Yeah, uh, I don't even, how, how do you keep it under wraps in 2024? This is yeah. Pioneer, so it's not on Arena, but it is on Moto. Uh, so the fact that they were able to keep it under wraps, but I guess there's a murders card in here. So that that was kind of the, the new tech. So it's a new set. But this this does harken back to the old days where you would actually get like cool ideas and a team could break it and run with it. I would say it was unfortunately overshadowed by the 8 billion previews that came out and no one really yeah. cares about what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it'd be cool if we had a whole weekend to like focus on this and try to dissect the deck list rather than cool vampires but now tell me about Emrakul in modern horizons 3 so uh, it's a little overload like plus we're coming off fall we, like we're not even done fallout by the way we haven't even talked about like fallout cards but like that's that's so beyond us right now because we got to talk about all the new sets coming out so wizards pacing man okay <laughs> could they not yeah. spread this out do something better like this this I feel this would have so much hype back in the days, but we're gonna forget about these vampires in like two seconds as we talk about previews. Do you do you think it'd be better to split off the pro tours rather than having them at Magic Con? So like the upside of having them at a Magic Con, I guess from Watsi's perspective is uh, same tournament center. You don't have to like rent out another hall, but you also get the upside that you have all these pro players that are at the event and they yeah, they're kind of like doing their own thing, but you'll see them, you know, coming to and from the event or after the event. So it's kind of, I guess, cool for people going to the event. They hey, might run into Reduke or LSV or something. On the other hand, it does get overshadowed, right? Like the topic is command. There was a huge command zone live that was like super popular. That was a big thing. There's like Mark Rosewater panels, all these spoilers, fallouts, all the new sets. So no one's really talking about the Pro Tour. Do you think it would be better to just do it like a week before or after the actual Magic Con and have it be its own thing so people could focus on it? I think it wouldn't exist otherwise. <laughs> I think oh. like nobody... Nobody really cares. Everyone is there for Commander, and this this pro event is kind of stapled onto it. And it's a win for Wizards because they don't have to get a second venue, right? It's expensive, right? Like, just carving out a little area for the pro tour is easy, but getting a whole venue and doing that whole thing is expensive. So I think it's not ideal for anyone that it's coupled with the Magicon, except for Wizards, because it's, like, very cheap, right? So, but, I, like, I, I firmly believe we wouldn't have one otherwise. Oh, yeah, I so they also did this 75k for standard at the event. And one of the big complaints uh, on social media the last couple of days is the 75k was near the main stage. So you got like game nights live going on with like just packed out everyone cheering and loud. And the people trying to play the standard 75k are upset about how noisy it was. We're hearing all these people cheering and the microphones and yeah, that sucks. But at the same time, as soon as I started seeing those complaints, I was like, you know, if you complain about this enough, I think the obvious response from Wizards is just going to be like, well, then we'll just stop doing 75Ks. Like, it, they're not going to, like, beat out game nights at a Magic Con in 2024. So, yeah, it's another one of those things where in an ideal world, the 75K wouldn't be taking place next to the main stage. But it, I think the main stage and all these, like, casual people coming in for Commander in the Command Zone are what's even making that event happen in the first place so you see you see a lot of this awkwardness i guess with just the the shift in magic right from being competitive to more casual and people trying to figure out what that means for them in their format so well, well that one wizards just needs to plan better like you can just put vendors near the main stage and they'll love it they'll love like everyone cramming by and then have to look at all these singles or whatever so that one i yeah. think is fixable that one is fixable <laughs> Also more tables. <clears throat> I had to play some floor magic. I am too old for floor magic, Richard. <laughs> I, I saw it was like the most popular event or whatever of like all time. The biggest, biggest yeah, magic con ever. Yeah. Did it feel like it? Did it look like it was bigger than Vegas? Was it was it wizards yeah. playing with the numbers or was it actually like that on the floor? It was 
It was actually like that on the floor. The place was absolutely packed out. The events, uh, like the unknown event with Gavin Verhey and stuff, had way more people than they thought. So they had to like seep into the command zone. So the command zone players were like playing on the floor. They had to open up. Apparently, this is a story I heard, not from someone running the event, but from people at the event that they actually got a bunch more tables in like a downstairs room, put them in and had to get the fire marshal to come back in and like approve them to let more people come in to use that space. So yeah, they did. They did what they could but it was legitimately the biggest magic con i've been to and i've been to the, like the biggest vegas or whatever too so yeah the, it actually legitimately felt huge and it was like super fun obviously when you have fifteen thousand people or whatever things are going to happen with logistics but i thought all things considered uh, despite having to play some magic on the floor that it actually went pretty smoothly and, and they'll learn from their mistakes remember vegas like two years ago how scuffed that event was and then how better how much better the future magic cons got so i think whatever problems they had with chicago i think they'll learn from and improve next time the funny thing is like they they should have known about this, right? People buy their tickets ahead of lot uh, ahead of time. It was sold out. Yep, <laughs> it was sold out. So they should know how many people are coming. And so rather than scrambling on like the Friday evening to get more tables, why did they do this like two months ago? Uh, that's weird. I also heard complaints about on demand events were pre purchased defeating the purpose of on-demand events, <laughs> right? Yes. So you you and show up and you can't play anything because everyone bought it out like a long time ago. They and they yeah they ran out of seal product too for some of the for some of the on demand <laughs> events so like on day one they ran out of product so you couldn't do on demand drafts because they just literally didn't have any more boxes for people to draft with so yeah I think this ended up being way bigger than they thought so I think I don't know how they didn't figure it out because it was sold out like two or three weeks ago so it seems like they could have adjusted but I do think they were expecting way less people and uh, and everyone showed up for it. So it was it was a fun event. There were definitely issues uh, with some of the logistics, but overall, I had a really good time. But we have so much to talk about. That's a, that's the pro tour. Congrats to Seth on, a, on an awesome pro tour win. One of the other big topics before we get to spoilers is uh, Watsi announced some changes to the languages in which magic cards are printed, which is starting this summer, I think, with Modern Horizons 3 and also Bloomborough, which come out in like July and August. Richard, what's uh, what's happening with the languages of magic? All right. Uh, so after Modern Horizons 3, uh, well, actually, there's two different times here. So Portuguese and Chinese Simplified are going away as supported languages. So Portuguese after Modern Horizons 3. And then uh, Bloomborough is when Chinese Simplified goes away. Uh, kind of sucks. Uh, the, yeah. the remaining core languages are English, Japanese, French, Italian, German, Spanish. So on one hand, I get why they do this. They print so many products. Uh, these these markets are so much smaller. Like you're just gonna sit around with all these products doing nothing, and it's like a big logistical nightmare. On the other hand, like I really wish Wizards went to, after that Chinese money. <laughs> That's a huge market, right? Yeah. Like if you if you actually look at like any metric, you're like. Oh, you know, this this Twitch streamer has like 200,000 views. And then you're like, what does the most popular like Chinese streamer have? It's like something like 5 million views, like concurrent viewers or something ridiculous, right? <laughs> yeah. There's like so many people there. And like the people with money have so much money to throw around. They're like, oh, yes, US mobile sales, like 2 million. Chinese mobile sales, like 50 million or something for some like random game. So I I don't know Wizards should find some way, but I can I I see why this is the case. There's so many products, and to make them in every language and to have them set on shelves, but that's how new players get in, right? Like if you're from if you're not an English speaker, it's very hard to uh, pick up an English card to understand it. As an English speaker myself, I don't understand any of the cards when I read them anymore. Like it would help if they were in your native language, right? So I don't know. On one hand, it kind of makes sense, but on the other hand, I wish they spent more time expanding and trying to grow these other markets because, like, yeah. there are a lot of big non-English communities, right? Like, the oh. the, the biggest oh, one, are. I guess, would be Japanese. Like, the, the Japanese magic scene is booming, right? Uh, and then Italian, French, German, Spanish. Yeah, I... I... 
I mean, so I get why they're doing it, right? It's going to cut costs and makes things easier on them. They mentioned that they're not some of the better selling languages of magic cards. So I can get it from like the short term dollar and cents perspective. On the other hand, this really hurts, I think, some communities and getting new players into the game. You mentioned China, which is a huge market where there's so many people that could be playing magic. It's really weird to see that going away. And then the Portuguese change, I know, really hits the Brazilian magic community hard. That's something that they've been very vocal about in the last few days, which makes a lot of sense. They say we have English cards here. And yeah, some people know English, but many of the new players we want to get into the game don't know English. And we can't really expect them to learn English to play magic. They're just not going to play magic. So it really hurts these communities. So I think it's really sad, right, for a global game like magic to have to minimize the number of languages they're going into. So it's one of those things that it just feels short term to me, right? Like, sure, you're probably going to save some money on printing costs over the short term. But what about five years from now and all those people that could be playing in China, could be playing in Brazil, these other countries that aren't playing because they don't have cards in their language. So it just seems short sighted to me, if that makes sense. Like, uh, yeah, you're going to save some money in 2024, but you're probably going to cost yourself some money in 2028 or 2029 with all these people that could be playing in these countries. So, ah, yeah. And then I, I don't know if you saw that Watsi had to shut down all their... <laughs> all their comments on Twitter and on YouTube because the people were so upset about this change. They were just like anything they would tweet. So they've had their everything locked down over the weekend for the pro tour and magic con stuff. Can't reply really? to anything. Can't comment on anything. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe, I guess it's good. People are letting their voices heard, hopefully respectfully, but uh, I don't know if wizards would ever make a change to that, but there's certainly been a lot of negative feedback based on this change. So, so Portuguese is still available at magic arena. Uh, Chinese simplified is not. And then also Russian is ending support after Modern Horizons 3 on Arena as well. So I don't know. This is weird. There, there's like the Arena all these... one's really weird. Why well, isn't Arena super easy? Like, shouldn't I get like still gotta pay for any physical cards? <laughs> yeah, I guess you, you gotta, gotta pay you gotta someone translate to translate it or something, but we know how suspicious their translation team is half the time. That, that's because... true. <laughs> uh but yeah. yeah, I don't know. It seems it seems strange, but I, I, I wish there was uh, a better way that we could support all these languages, like make everything in Phyrexian and no one can read anything so it doesn't matter. Like, I think that's actually Wizards' plan, right? <laughs> Their plan is like, you can always get English cards. And that's probably better than Phyrexian cards or movie poster cards, but uh, it sucks that we can't get new players into the game uh, on, the, on some of these yeah. languages. Well, let's move on to some less depressing news, which is we have a ton of spoilers. So there was a huge spoiler stream. Well, of course, it's been Fallout spoiler season, but I think we're mostly going to talk about those on the Commander Clash podcast. So check that out uh, next week, I think, when we go over uh, all those guards for Commander. But I want to talk about... Oh, 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 did I miss something? There's one Fallout thing I want to talk to you about. One Fallout yes. So, 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 like Seth said, all the deck lists are up. All, all four decks. You can check them. We're going to talk about them on the Commander channel. But there was one thing I wanted your opinion on, Seth, mm -hmm. is my boy Tarmogoyf has been <laughs> reskinned outside the Magic universe as something that I, I am so upset. I don't even know what it's called. Okay, they they took him and, and slapped another name on it. How do you feel about that? Because I. <laughs> I have a lot of mixed feelings about this, that Tarmogoyf was taken out of universe and like stolen by Fallout. <laughs> like, what do you think about that? It's a little weird, right? But at the same time, not surprising. We've seen these reskins going on. And honestly, I think we landed on reskins being one of the preferred ways to do these crossovers, even though, I mean, that was a couple years ago. Now we're full on universes beyond mode, so it's not like it even matters. On one hand, it's awkward to see one of the most iconic cards from the modern era of magic show up as scrounging Deathclaw that doesn't really look like Tarmogoyf at all and looks like some Fallout character. On the other hand, like, I don't know. Maybe that's the cost of being an iconic card is you're going to eventually get a Universes Beyond version. I'm curious what you think, Richard, because you're the Goyf player. You're an old school, Jund modern player. Would you play this in your Jund deck? Are you rushing out to get God. scrounging death claws to replace your Goyfs? God, you, you could you could sponsor me to play this. and I would refuse. <laughs> I would refuse. <laughs> this is like, I don't know. It, it feels so disrespectful. I don't know why I'm so upset about this. I mean, I kind of get why because I played Tarmogoyf for so long. But like, <laughs> imagine if they took Jace the Mind Sculptor and they're like, "You suck. We're gonna we're gonna change you into Mickey Mouse." And like, here you go. 
right? Like, like I don't know, right? Like, Tarmogoyf is iconic magic IP. And it's not like Tarmogoyf cosplaying as something. You know, it's not like Tarmogoyf with, like, some fancy Fallout armor or something. It's literally they just took his stuff and then put it into another character. I, I feel that's over the line. And I feel that really cheap is the IP. Like, imagine they have a Jace or Liliana. They're like... Oh, this is Liliana, but it's actually not. It's actually Mickey Mouse, or it's actually Spider Man. And you're like, why would you do that to your iconic characters, right? Like, this is this is this is I think more iconic than like half of the Planeswalkers or whatever that Wizards pumps out, right? Like, like Tarmac Goyf is up there on the list of things, and to to disrespect my man's so dead already. Like, so, you need to kick him further. He's where's, being outdone by a Goblin token, Seth. A Goblin fabled no, pure. Token is worth more than Tarmogoy. And I, I almost died because I thought he was in a pre-con, but he's not in a pre-con. <laughs> he's in a collector. We're close. <laughs> We're close to Tarmogoy showing up in a commander pre-con. We're very close to that stage. Where's the cutoff then, Richard? Because we also have, so they did a bunch of these. There's like Grave Titan, Hornet Queen, Ayula Queen Among Bears, uh, getting the same treatment, Hullbreak Horror, uh, maybe a couple others that I'm missing, the Walking Ballista. Where's the cutoff? Like, what makes something iconic enough that it shouldn't get this treatment? Like, or is like walking ballista okay? Grave Titan okay? Like, or should we just avoid doing this altogether now that it's we got universes beyond like two times a year? All these just like don't do these reskins, just make your own Tarmogoyf if you want one for Fallout. You should just literally have it Tarmogoyf be in the Fallout universe. Like, that's how <laughs> iconic these people like, like, let's say Jace was there, right? Like, Jace would, would have a gun and have a little doggo with him, and he would go shoot things, and he'd be Jace the Mind Sculptor and not some random character, right? So, these characters are so iconic that they should just be themselves. Do you think Fallout would, or Bethesda or whatever, would let them? Like, that that would be my question. I wonder what the rules are for these crossovers. Like, could they just put Goyf in there or Jace in there? It's Wizards game, whatever Wizards yeah. has. Like they, they, they should negotiate the contract. But like, I don't know, man. I I, I feel you're slandering the, the name of Tarmogoyf here by by doing this. Like you're like Tarmogoyf's not enough to sell. We got We got to rebrand them into like this random thing. Like I, I I hope that's like the number one character in Fallout, which I'm pretty sure it's not. Whatever Tarmogoyf got rebranded into. No. No, so I, I think it's just like a random, a random character. It's not something especially iconic, I don't think. I'd be curious to what other people think about this, because honestly, like, I'm not that offended by it. Like, a couple Wait of years ago... Wait till I ago, take your I, favorite character, Seth. A, a couple of years ago, I would be, but at this point, I'm just like, whatever. Like, I don't know. It's all... I'm I'm over it. I'm over it. Like, but Wizard, I'm Wizard curious. is losing me on Universes Beyond with Fallout. <laughs> Like the Tarmogoyf tobacco and also that, just the general set, but we'll talk about that on um, the other podcast. We'll talk about that general commander, set. but I do have some thoughts about this set, but tune into the Commander Clash podcast next week. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about some other spoilers. So I think we're going to try to go in chronological order by when the set's releasing. So the next set coming out is Outlaws of Thunder Junction. Spoilers start exactly a month from today, actually, March 26th. So we got about a month until we kick off spoiler season. Uh, it's like the Old West Outlaw set, I guess. We got a few cards. Richard, uh, what have we seen so far from Outlaws of Thunder Junction? All right. So to, to give you some <laughs> background information here, which is actually just a paragraph from our editor, Neoduk. So <laughs> the, the, the set code is OTJ. Okay, but along with OTJ, there are two additional set codes coming out. So, so normally there's a special sheet that comes with like every set, like Mystical Archive, uh, Masterpieces, whatever. Uh, that is going to be called Breaking News, which is OTP. Okay, but from the Aftermath debacle, there was an Aftermath set that Wizards scrapped uh, because they don't want to do Aftermath anymore. They're sticking it on with this set. That's called the big score or the vault, which is B-I-G, B-I-G. So that was going to be uh, an additional set, but they, they scrapped that. So they're just slapping it in here. Uh, the, the net result, by the way, uh, is something like there's like 50 mythics in the set between all of these, yeah. by the way. So there's going to be a, a huge drain on your Magic Arena <laughs> wild cards. <laughs> uh, yep. Special guests are coming back as well. And then for OTC, which is the commander product... Uh, cards can be found in the pre-cons or collector boosters. Uh, and then there's a new mechanic, uh, which is crime. 
and we'll we'll find a crime card, uh, and we'll talk about that. And then the last thing is Nathan Stewart's world champion card is sitting in yeah. OTJ. Yes. So also, uh, when you become world champion, you get a card now, and it's in OTJ. That is pretty cool. It's kind of like the invitational cards coming back, which I really like. One thing on the bonus sheets, so the crime bonus sheet, uh, we've seen like Thoughtseize, Crime and Punishment so far. Those are not standard legal. They're not changing what formats are legal in. It's just like a cool reprint. The Vault bonus sheet with the Aftermath cards from the Cancelled Aftermath, those are all standard legal. So one of the bonus sheets, uh, not standard legal. The other one is standard legal. All right. So let us get into some Outlaws of Thunder Junction. Uh, and wait, this this is a standard set, right? So yes. everything here is available for standard going back. So uh, oh, we'll talk about the art style in a second. Tiny Bones, the pickpocket. <laughs> a single black. It's a one-drop, one-one skeleton rogue with death touch. When it deals combat damage to a player, you may cast target non-land permanent from that player's graveyard and... Mana of any type can be spent to cast that spell. This card's so good. I think this card's actually like one of the strongest cards that they've spoiled from the from the entire weekend of all the different sets. I think this card's actually legit good. So we've seen one mana one one death touchers be pretty good. In so I should say for standard, if you're playing a bowmasters run in six format, no, 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 you're not going to play this card like ever. <laughs> but in standard, one mana one one death touchers actually tend to punch up. We've seen some of just the random common like vanilla outside of being a death toucher one ones just show up in the format because it's almost like a removal spell that sits out on the battlefield against big creature decks. So this is going to take down a shield or it or whatever big creature your opponent has. So we've already seen that archetype be playable. And then this has a pretty powerful late game ability. It's a one drop that on turn one, turn two, turn three, just plays really good defense. And then later your opponent's probably not going to want to block it because it has death touch. And if you get in that combat damage, all of a sudden you get to start casting things from your opponent's graveyard, which is pretty powerful. So I actually think this card's pretty good for standard. I would be very surprised if this card was not standard playable. Plus cowboy hats. I'm, I'm going to be the hipster and say it's probably going to be bad. <laughs> because, okay, here, here's, here's my theory. Wizards loves stapling on, dealing one damage randomly to things. So people are going to be able to remove this in the same vein as like Bowmasters uh, does in, in Modern. That is my guess. We're going to have cards in Standard that just randomly ping. And to think, it, like, people will have like Goblin Chain Whirler type effects or something. Which will which will do this. So like very slow decks who just want a blocker will do this. But like the ability to connect and cast a spell or like trade up or something, I think will be less prominent because I think we will have random things that just like pick off, like you know, some random charm that does something and then like just like picks this off. Uh, so that is my guess. But we we will see. If if we don't have those cards, this could be this could trade very profitably and get you like a shouldred for free or something, right? Well, not for free, but you have to cast it. But uh, you get to essentially draw a shouldred out of your opponent's graveyard. So it could be very high, but it could be Goblin Chain Roller, and then this is unplayable. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, I guess that's true. I guess we'll have to see what the, the meta looks like. Uh, very good against big creature decks, though. I got to ask you about the flavor, Richard. So we just went from Murders at Karlov Manor, which was, hey, here's all these characters, but they have detective hats. Now it seems like we're going to Outlaws of Thunder Junction, which is like, hey, here's all these characters, but they have cowboy hats. What do you think about that being uh, the theme of the year so far? Like characters, you know, but with goofy hats. <laughs> This is dumb. <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't know. I, I saw this and I was like, "Are you serious?" Like, like seriously, Tiny Bones is like Tiny Bones with the cowboy hat, but like, like it's a, it's like, uh, like I don't know, comedic, right? Like the the poses they're doing and the the dress. <laughs> Oko, which we're gonna talk about, has a cowboy hat. Fibblethip has a cowboy hat. This was this. We were we were like, oh, Westworld. Like Red Dead Redemption, let's go! And then we're like, "This is it." I'm like, "What is this?" I'm confused. So I, I don't like this. The showcase is the wanted frame, and as a One Piece enjoyer, this like hurts my soul. <laughs> like I know One Piece doesn't have a, a, you know, a a copyright on wanted posters or something, right? But like the whole shtick of One Piece is like they're like very bad pirates. 
and everyone has a wanted poster and they're worth varying amounts. You know, the, the more money, the better you are, right? But I look at this frame and it looks so bad compared to One Piece wanted cards. And it, it I, feels like a knockoff of One Piece, but I, I can see what they're going for. But yeah. <laughs> I I don't even play One Piece really, and that was the first thing I thought of thought of when I saw these two because I've seen the like One Piece wanted cards, and it does yeah. kind of look like a knockoff of those to some extent. Although in Wizards' defense, like how else are you gonna know Flibblethips in the Old West now, other than put a cowboy head on him? It is kind of easy though, right? Is that the just the easy mode? Like how do we get this across? Just just put the goofy cowboy head on him. <laughs> ah, this is. I, I don't like this that already. It's it's the comedic turn, right? It's like it's not a it's not a it's not a cowboy set, right? It's a comedy in a western or something. I, I don't know. We'll see more of the cards later, but this is not what I was thinking when I thought western in my head. It's more out of place, right? It's like I'm playing Disney cards or something here again. So you mentioned a new Oko, Richard. Uh, what does it do, and is it going to break magic like the first one you uh. think? All right, four mana Simic Oko. Uh, shirtless still, but with the cowboy hat, okay? Cowboy hat. <laughs> Three starting loyalty. At the beginning of your turn, Oko the ringleader becomes a copy of one target creature you control until end of turn, except he has hexproof. That's the static. Plus one, draw two cards. If you've committed a crime this turn, discard a card. Otherwise, discard two cards. Minus one, create a 3-3 elk. Minus five, for each other non-land permanent you control, create a token that's a copy of that permanent. Now, creating a or committing a crime is targeting your opponent or any of their stuff or zones with a spell or ability. You got okay. some soft magic players, Seth. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's it's basically commander. Yeah. It's the commander philosophy of committing a crime. If you do anything to any of my stuff, it's a literal crime. So this is card. Good? So this card is interesting to me. It's definitely not like the first Oko. So it's four mana, not three mana. It, like it's not going to do the offense defense thing, but I still think it could be relatively good. Like the plus one is fine, right? Being able to filter through your deck is generally pretty good. We got a bunch of mechanics in standard that care about your graveyard, so this is a good way to stock your graveyard to descend or collect evidence or whatever. Uh, turning into a creature, I don't know how good that ability is. What do you think of the static? On one hand, we have so many powerful legends now that in some decks, you don't even, you just legend rule yourself if you even use that ability. You don't want to turn into a shield or an Eclazots or anything, a Denic, because it's just going to die anyway. On the other hand, it works good with attack triggers, like getting a second Preacher of the Schism or something seems kind of nice. Hexproof makes it a little less risky to do. And then the ultimate seems pretty powerful, although it's kind of win more-ish. Like, you need a bunch of non-land permanents on the battlefield, and if you have a bunch, do you need another copy of them to win? Maybe not, but it does seem really fun when it goes off, so... I think it's got a chance to be standard playable, but it's definitely not anywhere near the first Oko. My guess is it's broken. And I think it's all, it's all contingent on that static. So that static makes or breaks this Planeswalker. If it didn't have the static, I think the Planeswalker would be trash. But you could cast Oko, untap, cast another creature, and you essentially have haste now because Oko will copy it and then go to town immediately. Any big beefy body or something with a good ability, like Oko becomes a copy of. So I, I think that's worth <laughs> it. And then you get like plus one card draw, minus one elk, minus five copy more stuff, I guess. But I, I feel if there are good non-legendaries. So that that is the thing, right? Like most of the good creatures are legendary. Uh, thanks, Commander. Uh, but <laughs> if we can find good stuff that's not like... I don't know, like, I don't know, Carnage Tyrant or something. Like, I don't know. Like, imagine yeah. Questing Beast or something was not legendary, mm. right? You'd get two of them. This card would be insane, I think. Because you get that copy, you get the elk, or you get the card draw. Like, that's that's very strong, right? So, I think Oko will be good. I think Oko will be good, but contingent on what he could copy. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see a little bit what the, what the meta looks like. What about outside of standard? Any chance? This is, like, a modern... Planeswalker, yeah. I was kind of thinking no, but... It's not just ah. a Mind Sculptor. <laughs> it is definitely not a Jace the Mind Sculptor. I wanted to ask you, Richard, so there's a couple of other, like, normal cards. Flibblethip with a cowboy head, a removal spell. I'm intrigued by one of the cards on the vault bonus sheet, though. That one I really wanted to ask you about, which is Sword of Wealth and Power. So, everyone thought we were done with swords. Watsi finally completed the cycle of the swords and X and Ys. 
but it looks like we're getting another one with a little bit of a twist. So uh, what does sort of wealth and power do, Richard? All right. Three mana sword. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from instants and sorceries. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. Then when you cast uh, an instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that smell. Choose new targets for the copy equipped to. What do you think do of this sword? Doo-doo? Do-do? <laughs> Ooh, but, okay, okay. It's okay. good. But is, so isn't pro instance and sorceries kind of good? Like that keeps any removal spell really from hitting your creature. So it's bad at attacking through blockers, which is part of the upsides of the protection from colors. But it is really good removal protection, right? It's not going to get swords or path or fail. Like name a removal spell. It's not going to target it. The abilities are weird. Like, a treasure is never bad. We see that with the goblin from Fable the Mirror Breaker, that that treasure really does pressure and add up and lead to some awkward situations. The spell copying mode, that's when I'm a little bit like, is that going to be worth it? You think it's just straight up bad, though? Like, not not worth it? So protections from instants and sorceries is essentially, like, bad hexproof, right? Like, creatures can still essentially. So, but there, there, there is a slight upside. So, if someone blasphemous acts, like you, you survive through it. Uh-huh. But, but if someone wrath of gods, you're dying anyway, right? So, I that protection I feel is a lot worse than just straight up color protection because it doesn't give you evasion. This is five mana to copy a spell. You could just pay two mana for a fork, right? And you got to somehow get through and hit someone with it, and you don't have the colored protection to help you. I don't know. But so then- you got to like copy, like you got to get like two hits in with the sword before it does something useful. And if you're just using it for protection, it kind of sucks too. So I I think it's pretty bad. I don't know how you it's, would. It's pretty good the this. second turn. That's pretty good the second turn. Like if you can get in two attacks with it, but maybe that's asking too much. But I think you're right that like three to cast, two to equip, and then having mana left over to cast a spell, even with the treasure it makes, that is kind of asking for a lot of a lot of things to go right to actually have it work. The best case is well, equip blasphemous act. <laughs> like that, yeah. That's like the best thing you can do with this. Oh, I guess it's also worth mentioning, too, that pro instance and sorceries means you wouldn't be able to target it either. So uh, if you're playing a deck that cares about targeting your own things, that might get a little bit worse there because it would uh, it would keep them from being targeted. So that's Outlaws at Thunder Junction. There's a couple other little spoilers. I think those are the most exciting ones. But let's keep moving on uh, to our next set, which I believe what's next on our list, Richard? Is it Modern Horizons? Oh, it's actually Assassin's Creed next. Oh, we're even doing Assassin's Creed? Uh, uh, Modern Horizons comes Assassin's out earlier, Creed. though. Okay, do let's, do, let's do Modern Horizons. Let's okay, do Modern so Horizons. I got to talk Modern about Horizons is June. Okay, so <laughs> this is direct to Modern, okay? But they have Commander decks. Don't worry about that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we, what it, are we seeing in this? We, we, we got Allied Fetchlands, okay? Allied Fetchlands. Uh, we see we, Priest we, of Titania for Elves, which is a cute little reprint. I don't know if that changes things, but Priest of Titania, the two-drop that taps to make green for each Elf you control, really powerful Elf, so it'll be interesting to see if that does anything. The two cards I really want to ask you about, Richard, I think are, are Emrakul and then Flare of Cultivation. Those are the two that really stand out to me. What? A Johnny got disrespected? Okay, that's Okay, part. okay. We can talk about a Johnny, too. <laughs> Okay, so so Modern Horizons three, right? This is the set that brought you uh, the the elemental cycles, the free spells, all that, right? So this is the power level we're talking about. Uh, Emrakul, the world anew, twelve generic mana, twelve twelve, legendary creature Eldrazi. When you cast this spell, gain control of all creatures target player controls. Flying from protection from spells and permanents that were cast this turn. When Emrakul leaves the battlefield, sacrifice all creatures you control, madness, six colorless. So, like, colorless symbol six times is the madness cost. I've been going back and forth on this one. Oh, I've been going back and forth. Like, I every time I read it, I'm like, okay, this card's busted. No, this card's probably unplayable. No, it's probably busted. Right now, I think it's probably busted because of the madness. That's my, so it's busted, but you're going to have to build around it. So at 12 mana, it's okay. Like, I, I don't think it's exciting. Like the original Eldrazi, it's not annihilating. Your opponent really needs to have creatures for it to be effective with its cast trigger. But if you're getting this for six mana, 
that's kind of a ridiculous card, right? And I think you can build a deck to do that. It's pretty easy to play an Eldrazi Tron style deck and uh, use a key to the city or even just tutor up like, oh, what's the thing that's played with uh, with Asmore, the, the Underworld cookbook? Like use Urza Saga to tutor up Underworld cookbook and just use that to discard the Emrakul, Madness it for six. And when this is a six mana 12-12 that's pretty much unkillable outside of Wraths or Edicts, that steals all your opponent's creatures, that's a ridiculous card, right? So I think it's like really strong, but you got to build around it. I don't think you just, would you even jam it in like Tron or a deck like that? I'm not sure that you would. Maybe as a sideboard card for certain matchups, but but I think if you can build a deck that madnesses this with the, with the without playing a ton of bad cards, then I think this is pretty exciting. The protection from permanence that were cast this turn means you can't get Leyline Binding or anything like that, which is kind of the bane of some of the old Emrakuls. So how do you kill it once it hits the battlefield? Odawaru? can bounce it <laughs> so yeah that, i that's guess a that's... very commonly played card but hmm. you don't need to kill it you just kill them first so the 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 six colorless madness means this is like has to be a tron deck right so eldrazi tron yeah. or a normal tron if i'm going through this effort i feel it's just easier to cast a little karn uh or an ulamog or something because like you need the outlet you need to do this and you need your opponents to need their creatures Right? Like, if they're not a creature deck, this doesn't matter. Right? If they're playing Living yeah. End or something, this doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Like, right. like, there's a lot of cases where stealing the creatures don't doesn't matter. And why don't you just play, like, the real Emrakul or an Ulamog or Karn? Like, all these cards are too slow, by the way. Like, Tron just plays little Karn, gets a ensnaring bridge, and calls it a day. Right? Like, that's all they need to do. Right? So, I don't know. And the fact that you can't. There's so many restrictions. You need to be able to uh, have a sack outlet. Like, do you really want to be playing the the Underworld Cookbook in your Tron deck? Like, do you really want to be doing this? <laughs> right? That that seems like a opportunity cost. So I don't like it. And then what if you drew like one of your forests or something? Right? You can't pay the madness cost or something. So yeah, yeah, six colorless the worst is ever. a big ask. It is the worst Emrakul, but that madness cost is still intriguing. I, what do you think about this card in Commander? I think I kind of hate this card in Commander because it just kind of like wrecks one person. Where you're like, hey, you, I'm taking all your creatures. Everyone else, yeah, let's kill them now. Like, that seems kind of annoying. <laughs> ah, I think it still sucks. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you, you, you take everyone's stuff and then someone just like rats. And like, it doesn't matter. Like, all your stuff was dying anyway, whether it dies on this side or that side. Uh, it needs to be indestructible or cannot be exiled or cannot be removed. Or like if, if it's removed from the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices all their lands. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah. But like a, a, wrath, a wrath takes care of this. Any commander, we have plenty of wraths, right? And again, you just dunk one person anyway. You don't even dunk the rest. And like you can take a few Emrakul hits. It's not like it has Annihilator where you're like, oh, I take this hit, I'm dead no matter what. Like you can take 12 wow. damage. Uh I don't know about a few, but you can take one. You can take one. The you second one. You can take you. three. You still be it's a, a four 12, life. 12. You still be a four uh, life. Uh, okay. I like I think this card's really good. A Johnny. Uh two mana one two. Uh, a Johnny Nakadal Pariah. It's a legendary creature cat warrior. When the ETBs create a two-one white cat warrior creature token, when one or more other cats you control die, you may exile a Johnny return it to battlefield transformed. Surprise, it's a Planeswalker in the back. Uh, it's a red-white Planeswalker. Three loyalty. Plus two, put a plus one, plus one counter on each cat you control. Zero, create a two-one white cat warrior creature token with... Uh, no, create a token. When you do, if you control a red permanent other than a Johnny, he deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to any target. Minus four, each opponent chooses an artifact, creature, and enchantment of Planeswalker among the non-land permanents they control sacrifices the rest. Uh, so like Cataclysm without the lands. <laughs> yeah, which means, oh, shouldn't it just Cataclysm? You got to play this as a creature. It's got to live. You got to flip it to the other side. Then you got to ultimate. Watsy's so cautious with any land destruction. If there was ever a card... They could actually Cataclysm. I think it would be this one. That, you that'd think be a card... plus minus. That'd be a plus <laughs> than a Cataclysm. That'd be very strong. Yeah, up it up at one or whatever. Make a <laughs> negative five or something. But let me destroy a land, Watsy, just for once. So you think this card's good, Richard? So, okay, let me ask you about this. So when I read the front side, it seems fine, right? You get a two drop that's making a two one and a one two. Then you get the upside of the Planeswalker on the backside, which is nice. The zero to make a token seems decent. 
my question is, do you got to be a cat deck? Like, that's my concern. Like, its abilities kind of refer to cats, and cats are just not very close to being modern playable. So you think you can play this in, like, your Abzan deck or something just as a value E2 drop? Oh, I, I need a red card. So here's the problem. You got to play Mardu because you want that zero to shoot things, right? Because if uh, that zero shoots things, you've got a Bowmasters or a Red and Six in your pocket that's pumping out a 2-1 uh, while it's doing it. That's insane. Are there playable cats? Is it, you know, can, can we pull a, a, a Rakdos Vampires where like one of the best cards happens to be a cat already? Like, I mean, there are certainly some okay make the deck cats. way better. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some okay cats. Uh, there's nothing that is super like top end modern oh, wait, playable. Wait, wait, wait. Is it Leonin Arbiter is a cat? Leonin Arbiter is a cat. That's true. So in like a taxes deck, you could do that. that. A Johnny's pride mate. <laughs> Isn't mm. this really good? You, you, <laughs> okay, you, you kill, okay. You you kill the you kill the thing to try to make your land drops, and then you flip a Johnny, and then you go. Can can, can we, we go can Boros we, taxes? <laughs> can we bring Brimaz back? Brimaz is a cat that makes cats. Brimaz was like modern playable at one point. That that was a few years ago, but there was a time. <laughs> Okay, maybe maybe we can actually be a cat deck. Kahira, you, Kahira is your companion. Hmm. Mm. Okay. I, I've actually got got by Kahira so many times <laughs> because Out Kahira pumps decks, elementals though. and they play solitude oh. or whatever, and you're like, oh my goodness, it has vigilance <laughs> and it's pumped. Like the stupid ability is relevant. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I feel it's a good enough card standalone, but I feel rather than having cats, you need red permanence. Uh, yeah. So if if you can have red permanence, and I, are there any hybrid cards that are playable? Like, so you don't you're not actually red, but you have like a kitchen finks or something giving you green. Oh, <laughs> like, right. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Figure of destiny. <laughs> I don't know if that's the one, but uh, well, yeah, I don't know we're going way I, back. <laughs> I guess we're getting a whole cycle of flipwalkers. So, or uh, not necessarily a cycle, but one of the themes of the set is more flipwalkers, like Magic Origins. So, Johnny's the first one we've seen, but expect more uh, planeswalkers as creatures that flip into planeswalkers. And I'm really hyped for it because they can be at modern power level, right? They can actually push these a little bit compared to the Magic Origins ones. Speaking of modern power level, Richard, one of the themes of Horizon sets is apparently free spell cycles, and we got another one. And I'm so scared of these. Is this one broken, though? So the card is Flare of Cultivation. It's a three mana, one in a green for a sorcery that lets you cultivate. You search your library for two basics, one going to play, the other goes into your hand, but you can cast it for free by sacking a non-token green creature, a creature of uh, whatever the spell's color is. So it's a big restriction, right? Compared to past free spells, you have to have a non-token creature of the pop, right color and sack it. Is that enough to make free spells fair? Or is this just going to be incredibly broken? I mean, it seems like it sucks, <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm sure if they make it, that you can build a deck around it to make it happen. At least I like this. You got to actually do something with your deck to make it work. Uh, so people are like, well, you turn one a Boreal Grazer, you drop a land, you, you chuck the Boreal Grazer, you do this. But I'm not even sure Amulet Titan wants to be doing this. <laughs> like, yeah, you start the, uh, the turn with a uh, second turn with four mana, uh, but you really just cared about Amulet of Vigor or whatever, right? So I'm not sure yeah. that this actually did anything for you. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what the other colors do. Uh, but a yeah. non-token creature is hard. But like if this did something, like the black one. So this one sucks for uh, Yawgmoth decks because they don't want to ramp. But you could see right. if the black one was sack a non-token creature, like it could definitely do that. Uh, so Ooh. we'll see yeah, what it my is. My expectation is the restriction is going to be the same on each of them, but I guess we'll see. My guess is they're all going to be sack a, creature, a non-token creature of the color, but I don't think they've actually confirmed that. Blue one will but be I guess useless we'll see what the, <laughs> the blue one, yeah, Phantasmal Bear, maybe. Delver, sack your Delver, get a, get a something. Uh, uh, well, we'll see. Maybe they're bad and unexciting, then we'll complain that the power level is too low, and then if they're too good, we'll complain why would you print more free spells? So, I don't think Wizards going to win with this one. <laughs> uh, shout out for the Fetchland reprint. We really needed the the allied ones to be reprinted. We got last Modern Horizons, the enemy ones, and it really helped with the price of those, but then the allied ones just shot up to 50 bucks a piece, so getting more uh, Polluted Deltas, Flooded Strands, that's a, that's a really big deal for Modern, and for, like, commander players too so just all around really solid reprints there i think this is the set i'm most excited about this year i'm really hyped for modern horizons 
All right. Uh, so that that is June. Before your wallets have recovered, July, we have Assassin's Creed. Uh, so small boosters, only about 100 different cards. Uh, the set code is ACR. And the showcase treatment is, I don't know if you've played Assassin's Creed, but like that memory, I don't know what you call it. It's like this, this white looking foil that things of polygons in the back they don't look like, like magic cards it it's looks very like assassin's creed it's like the thing you see when you when you do the sci-fi thingy uh, you can tell i haven't played assassin's creed in a very long time um but i'll, I'll give you a card uh it's ezio Aditor de friends oh, i'm sorry assassin's creed fans uh so two mana black three two legendary creature human assassin menace assassin spells you cast have free running Double black. Okay. <laughs> you may cast a spell for its free running cost. If you dealt combat damage to a player this turn with an assassin or commander, uh, whenever Ezio deals combat damage to a player, you may pay Wooberg. If that player has 10 or less life, when you do, that player loses the game. That's cool. kind of a cool card, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so this is going to be modern legal. I don't know if I can imagine this card. I mean, could it see modern play? In modern, getting someone under 10 isn't hard, but you'd have to be some five color deck and attack with your two mana three two. That's a lot <sighs> of work. It's a commander card, right? It's, a, it's yeah, probably a commander is... card. You need to have Wooberg. That's not easy. <laughs> Having like five mana period in modern before you're dead is is a is a tall ask, let alone hitting someone, getting them under 10. Uh what about the free running ability? I think that's so I think that might be the most intriguing ability. So you can cast assassins for two mana if you dealt combat damage with an assassin, right? So that means you can be slamming. Or a commander, but that means you can be playing like Masker Girl, a known killer for two mana, Trotta's for two mana, literal Masker Girl for two mana. And maybe that's the way to take advantage of this card is some sort of like straight up assassin deck. No, no. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to hit someone in modern when they don't want to be hit? <laughs> menace, but menace, Richard. <laughs> so you got to cast your two drop, have it survive, hit them, and then you get to cheat. Oh, a no, Richard. Into play? You know, is, there, is there something you know really I, big? You know what else is an assassin? Vein Ripper. Vampire <laughs> <laughs> assassin. We did it. We know it can work. We saw it at the Pro Tour. I mean, I, I do like playing standard cards in modern, so I'll just take the Pioneer deck. Just just play the Soren. I think you have an easier time than trying to free run Vein Ripper. <laughs> I, I will say, I think my big takeaway is, so I don't know anything about Assassin's Creed, but apparently there's a lot of assassins in it, like a lot of the cards that we've seen so far to refer to assassins. So if uh, you want to build around these cards in Commander, I'd start looking at picking up my assassins now because you know those cards are going to spike in a few months. So pick up your random assassins, get ahead of the game for, <laughs> for building your commander deck with these cards but i don't hear here's this a, modern playable yeah yeah they, they look a little sus i mean we, i think we expected this it'll be for commander but how do you feel about real world historical figures in magic the gathering so we have leonardo da vinci cleopatra exiled pharaoh in the set uh da vinci is just literally drawing mona lisa there uh they're serialized the cleopatra serialized is in what looks to be Greek. <laughs> they said that all the, so the serialized cards of the real world characters are going to be in whatever language they spoke. So I, I have no idea what languages those are, but uh, all the serialized cards are going to be that way. I kind of like it. So for me, we have precedent for this in Magic, right? Going back to like Legends era, the earliest days of the game, we used to have like real world characters and like clips of books and stuff on Magic cards. So I don't know, it doesn't really bother me. I'm kind of okay with it. Does it make sense for Assassin's Creed? Like, what's is Assassin's Creed about trying to like go back in time and assassinate Cleopatra yeah, yeah, or something? Yeah. Is that oh, is that what the game's about? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But then they get very loose with history, but like it's supposed to be like a historical game. But I. Like, I don't like it because you have to, if you think about it for a second, like your, your, your version is shattered instantly. And I'm not just talking about like, why is Leonardo, you know, Leonardo da Vinci talking with Jason Weinsculter? I'm talking about like, why is he a 3-3? Da Vinci's bigger than like Thalia? 
a soldier token? Yeah. Like anything? Okay. Like, what? Mm. like all these characters should be zero zeros. Like a stiff breeze would kill them. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, they could have like crazy ETBs or tap ability. Like, why is Cleopatra 2-4? Like that, that, yeah. that could stuff a welcoming vampire or something, or you know, a, a blood type <laughs> harvester or whatever. Like, like what? <laughs> What's going on? I I would much rather have this than the like IRL current actors of Doctor Who, though. Like, a hundred percent, give me Cleopatra over. Here's a British actor eating a sandwich in his garage. So, if I had to choose between the two, I think I'd choose these. <laughs> Right. I don't know about the power level. I'm kind of like, same with Fallout. I know we're going to talk about it on Commander, but I'm kind of feeling like these universes, I don't know, maybe I'm spoiled because of Lord of the Rings and just how pushed that set was. But these do not so far seem like Lord of the Rings power level universes beyond. Like definitely not Fallout. And from what we've seen so far from Assassin's Creed, no One Rings or Bowmasters so far. Yeah. I mean, the One Ring was like the first thing they spoiled, wasn't it? Like, it was very early on that they spoiled the One Ring. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. You know, so maybe these are the heavy hitters for the, for the set. But maybe the heavy hitters are still coming. I don't know. But it's definitely looking like a commander set versus a modern set. Yeah. And then finally, Seth, because we need to jump like two standards into the future. <laughs> we got Bloomborough. Uh, Bloomborough is uh, like animals. Or something. I don't even know what the theme is. It's it's like it looks kind of like Eldrade, but it's not Eldrade. It's animals, and I think is everything small. No, is everything small? No, everything is not small. That's another set. Uh, yeah, August. It's coming in August. It's some kind of like talking animal. Oh, this was animals, but they like they can talk. Uh, this this is the rotation set for standard. Set code is, is BLB. That's what. Wait, that's is what this the... said? Is it not? It's interesting. It's in August. So. So yeah, that's so that's a little different than before, which I think is a good thing. I was actually wondering about it because normally the rotation set is like early September. This is early August. So yeah, I guess that's uh, I guess that's we're getting a rotation a little bit earlier, which I will not complain about. So that would make sense because the schedule has been very overloaded in the fall with like two sets almost back to back, like September and then November or whatever. So maybe they're doing this to spread it out a little bit more, but I'll take a earlier rotation. All right. The the showcase looks storybook. Oh, this looks so Eldrain to me. Like everything. It does look very Eldrain. <laughs> it's like it's yep. like storybook uh thing. And then there there's anime cards again. The more of those cards are anime, but they're like anime mice animals. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. uh but they're Japanese artists. Uh let, let's let's talk about a a bear here, a six mana bear. Lumra, Bellow of the Woods, Elemental Bear. It's a mythic. Star, star, power, toughness. Vigilance, reach. Its power, toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. When it ETBs, build four cards, then return all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Sounds I mean, like that's a lot card. of ramp, right? A, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. You could maybe make a standard deck out of that. Uh, six mana is probably too much, but it has a powerful ETB trigger. Like, this is, by the time it comes down, right, it's going to come down. It's going to be at least a 6x. Six, six, and then you're also theoretically going to be getting a bunch of uh, lands back from your graveyard if you're building around this. So this is probably going to be like a 10-10, a 15-15. Unfortunately, it doesn't have trample. I think that really hurts it because it means it's just going to get chump blocked all day by a random token which there's so many of them in standard right now with boros and wedding announcements and so forth. Uh, so maybe that's a concern, but I do think it's a powerful effect. Like we don't have that many effects in magic that are just return all the lands from your graveyard to the battlefield. And this does it on a relatively big body. So I think it could have some uses for constructed, but yeah, I'm primarily a commander card. <laughs> Stone unplayable. <laughs> no. Like, like no. Is, there, is, is, is Valakid in the format? Then maybe we're talking, right? But... You had to ramp to it. It's six mana. That's like very hard to cast. And then once you've cast it, all it does is ramp you some more. Like, so you need like Field of the Dead. You need Valak. You need like some lands that have ETB things. And then it's some kind of a combo kill. But like you're ramping, which then ramps some more into like a big body that could be chumped all day. That's That's not enough, <laughs> right? It has to combo kill when it does this. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's probably true. Remember, it seems tiny like bones a commander. Tiny bones block this all day. <laughs> tiny bones does take down this bear <laughs> all day. And you're building yourself, you're just you're just you're just filling the graveyard for tiny bones. <laughs> 
I mean, good commander card, right? Would you play this in a generic self-mill deck like Madrotha or Sidisi or something? Or uh, it seems like it could be worth yes. it for value. Okay. Yes. In, in commander, it makes sense to hit six mana and then ramp even more. Like <laughs> that is <laughs> you never very, have too much mana in commander. That's a very good play in commander. So I, I think I think this will see play uh, in commander for decks that can self-mill. Maybe what about just value? <laughs> is it primeval titan? If you just do two <laughs> two fetch lands, cast this and grab two lands. <laughs> Is it I mean, primeval titan <laughs> at home maybe primeval titan at home <laughs> it still still might be fine plus it mills right so it's probably yeah. gonna mill at least one land maybe two lands and so you're maybe you, as you a bonus. borrowed or crop rotation or something <laughs> yeah i think it might actually be fine just straight up in a green deck without doing any shenanigans but yeah the the one other card we got was a mouse a mouse lord a three mana three three <laughs> legendary mouse soldier it's a boros card pumps your mice plus one plus one when it etbs you create craig flame a legendary equipment artifact token with vigilant uh, and equipped creature gets vigilance plus one plus one trample and haste how do you even evaluate this card like how do you know if mouse or mice are going to be good in standard at this point or anywhere <laughs> My immersion, Seth. Um, I, I don't know. Is there a rat colony in the set? Like, <laughs> you know it's going to be popular in Commander, though. You know it's going to be popular in Commander. There's going to be mice decks running around in Commander. So I think, I okay, so I was on a panel with Mark Rosewater at uh, MagicCon Chicago, and we were talking about the upcoming sets that were public. And this was one that he said was his vote for uh, the big set of the year. He thought that people were going to absolutely love Bloomborough. This was going to be the the set of the year that everyone loves. So we'll see. But that's uh, some high praise from uh, someone who really knows magic. So that got me more hype for it because this was kind of like medium on my list. But hearing Mark be like, uh, this is my pick for one of the, you know, the good ones. Got me a little bit more hype for this weird animal world. <laughs> it's better than cowboy hats on Oko. I'll give you that. <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> Eldrade at home, and Eldrade I really enjoy. So, so far, I'm loving the art style, and there's anime in here. Can we go wrong with that? Like, can we go wrong with anime? So, I, mean, I, I think he's actually right here. <laughs> and we get, like, Raul Zarek as an otter. We get Jace as a fox. Like, <laughs> it's going to be... It's gonna. Oh, you didn't see that? We got the oh. we got the art. Yeah, we got the art for it. Yeah. Wait, is that actually Jace, though? That's, like, real Jace? I believe so. Yeah, because they confirmed that the otter is Raul, so I think it's actually yeah going to be real Jace, but as a fox, so it should be sweet. I'm, I'm down for this. <laughs> I'm down for this, actually. <laughs> Oddly enough, I don't find this weird. <laughs> uh, we're running long, Seth, but we, we, we skipped one card, which is kind of very important. Oh, no. And that's our world champion card. Oh, yeah. Uh, Duelist of the Mind. It's in Thunders of Outlaw Junction. That's uh, Nathan Stewart's world champion Twenty Eight. If I can read Roman numerals. Uh, two mana, star, power, three toughness, creature, human advisor, flying vigilance, duelist of the mind's powers equal to the number of cards you've drawn this turn. Whenever you commit a crime, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So, so far, I think 100% of the world championship cards have been very good. Fervent champion, saw a ton of play. Uh, Paulo, the elite spellbinder, saw a ton of play. I'm missing one, but the other one that we've seen so far also fairy, fairy vandal, no fairy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fairy mastermind sees yeah. a lot of play. So I have high hopes that this card's going to be good. It seems like they really try to make these playable. I think this card's got to be pretty reasonable, right? So its power is equal to the number of cards you've drawn. It's pretty easy to make this really huge, really quick. It can play a little bit of defense where, you know, it has three toughness. So you get decent stats on a two drop. I don't know about outside of standard, but at least in standard, I think this card could be pretty powerful. Eh, so it's Modern? a one three at base. So during, well, okay, okay. I should it's kind of craft. So, so when you're attacking, it's a one three, right? And when you're blocking, it's a zero three, right? But if you commit a crime, it becomes a two three, and then or a one three on defense. That still kind of sucks. And then the, the committing the crime only lets you loot, and you can only do it once. But, oh, but you Richard, do a lot about, of work to make this big. Oh, okay, what about this? You play this, then you brainstorm, and you draw three cards, and then all of a sudden this is a four three attacking, like on turn three, or maybe you brainstorm again, and it's like a seven power creature. Like there's ways to do it, right? But we have brainstorming like, and, and legacy, then, and then afterwards, 
it becomes a one three again. <laughs> so you you uh, hit him for eight. I we okay. So last time we had a two drop blue flyer, you know, C print like this. Everyone slept on Ledger Shredder. Everyone thought that card was trash, and then it became like modern playable Ledger Shredder. I think this card's gonna be good. I, I don't want to miss on another Ledger Shredder. I think this one's actually actually gonna be really good. I think people, I think we underrate these like cheap blue flyers. You get to leave up your interaction, you're chipping in for damage, you're casting your cantrips that you're doing anyway. And next thing you know, this thing's just smashing you for a bunch of damages and the game's ending. So I actually think, yeah, you gotta build around it a bit, but I think this card's actually gonna be strong. If there's no brainstorming, a non-legacy vintage format. <laughs> like you really need that cheap draw a ton but you're not really drawing a ton like faithless looting banned i mean <laughs> you get to ah uh, but you get fable. to loot every fable. time fable makes it a three three fable makes it a three three plus you just have fable when... carry it through <laughs> through standard plus remember plus remember you get to loot when you commit a crime which means you fatal push your opponent's thing you're gonna loot you're gonna like trigger it to grow and you get to fill your graveyard you lightning bolt something you lightning bolt your opponent's face this grows you get in more damage i feel like that mode of it like makes it even better too i feel bowmasters throws us all out of it like <laughs> you don't want to be doing this because you're gonna die to a bowmasters because i'm like that... what if you put this in Tide? Expressive iteration doesn't even draw cards. Because uh, I'm like, oh, you can fill your graveyard super quick for a Riptide with this, right? But you don't want to be drawing cards in a world of Orcish Bowmasters. So your your free <laughs> card draw is not really free, right? You're you're making Bowmaster triggers. So well, it's interesting. It's interesting. But you're right. We have historically underestimated these two drops. So uh, yeah. and hopefully Wizards knows what they're doing here. They didn't. They didn't break the trend with Nathan Stewart. <laughs> like, sorry, you get the bad one. We had to. We had <laughs> yeah, to you put get it the bad. You get the bad World Championship card. Uh, anyway, let us know what you think about all these spoilers. You can see them all uh, over on the website, over mtdpreviews.com. Check out all the upcoming stuff. Next official spoiler season, like I said, a month from today for Outlaws at Thunder Junction. So we get a little break to uh, do some murders at Carla Manor stuff, some Fallout stuff. I don't think we have time for fish mail today richard but uh next week we might get to it so where should people send those in all right uh, if you have any comments on any of these new sets send them to at mp goldfish with the hashtag mdg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air and i believe that brings us to the end of episode 473 of the mtg goldfish podcast so richard thanks for hanging out thanks to everyone for listening thanks to card conduit for supporting the show and we'll be back next week to talk about what ever goes on in the world of magic so until then have a lovely week everyone and this is a crew signing out